If you would, please, open your Bibles to, uh, and don't stand yet till you get fixed. Mark your Bible in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, the first epistle of Peter chapter 1. Put a marker there if you would, and then turn to Luke chapter 2, and uh, we'll start reading about verse 31. In this chapter in Luke, uh, it was a serious time. Uh, It's recording things that happened the night before our Lord was crucified. The night he was betrayed by Judas, the night he was arrested. Uh, He spent all night in uh, being questioned, being tortured. Uh, What he experienced in Gethsemane when he sweat great drops of blood, as it were, falling to the ground, all that our Lord endured there that night when He took upon Himself the sin of the world, including yours and mine. He took that upon Himself and carried it to Calvary. And aren't you glad He did? But while our Lord was... uh, He instituted the Lord's Supper that night, uh, according to what Luke said here. And uh, then after that, He... uh, uh, he gave the prophecy about his betrayal, and the betrayer is right here with us. He said, and they start asking, is it I, is it is I? Then the disciples, so they were caught up thinking, kind of like the world thinks. Who's going to be the greatest? There was contention among them. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? I'm convinced after these years Uh, One thing for sure, I'm convinced of more than one thing, but this thing really for sure, we don't need big shots in ministry. We don't need big shots in the Lord's work. There's one, he's greatest, greatest, he's greater than all. And uh, he's the one who matters in all things, he's to have the preeminence. One of my uh, college teachers taught us, he said, seek the oblivion of the herald. Dress in such a way, act in such a way that you're just not really noticed, but the message is exalted, and that message is Jesus Christ. And I still think that's great advice. Amen? Because as soon as we get our eyes on some guy gets all lifted up here as a big shot, and everyone gets looking at him, and then the devil pulls the rug out from under him, and he falls on his face, and it gives the Lord a black eye. And so we want him to be exalted. Amen? So uh, the disciples were saying, who's going to be the greatest? And he taught them then in verses 25 to 30 about how the real leaders in his kingdom are going to be the servants. And he had given the illustration of washing the disciples' feet. Even though he knew his rank, he knew who he was. And he bowed down and washed their feet. That took the form of a servant. And uh, I just don't think we can do better than following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Then he said this in uh, verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 
And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he, Jesus, said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. That was quite a prophetic statement. I'd like for you to think tonight of this being maybe a continuation of this morning's message. The strength for serving God comes from God. Following our Lord requires His enabling. We get our strength from Him. I'm going to make a statement at the beginning of the message, and I'll make it again at the end. And that is, uh, there's a reason your pastor's harping on you all the time to come to church, to read your Bible, to pray, to have your devotions. The more you bathe yourself in God's presence, the stronger you'll be when your trials and hard times come. And in this life, Jesus promised, in this world you shall have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He didn't say we could overcome it except through Him by faith in Him. Okay? So, he, Simon Peter, if he was to be the servant God wanted him to be and have the ministry God wanted him to have and be the kind of Christian he needed to be, strong in trials, he was going to face some trials. He was going to face some hard times even starting that very night. If he was going to do that, he needed strength. He's made a statement here that amazes me. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now we know he was already saved. He had already accepted the Lord. But he needed another conversion. He needed a conversion in his thinking and his attitude. Before he could minister as our Lord wanted him to, he had to be converted. And there are three elements that I'd like to point out in this conversion that he needed. Number one, he needed to learn something about Satan. Satan's always there. He's out there. Uh, Be sober, be vigilant. As a roaring lion, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is the God of this world, meaning this world system. He's the one who's setting the styles. He's the one who's setting the way things go and the philosophies and attitudes of this world. He's behind it. He's behind the political upheaval in our country and other nations all over the world. It's it's the devil. And Simon Peter needed to learn that uh, he was going to be under attack And Jesus warned him. He needed to know that Satan is ruthless, that he's treacherous, that he's intelligent, that he's powerful. Peter, you're no match for him. The devil is perseverant. He's just going to keep on and keep on as long as he has time. Praise God, he's not eternal like our Lord. Our Lord will reign eternal. Satan is now on a leash and on a time schedule. Simon Peter needed to learn something about Satan. 
he also needed to learn something about self. Peter was as dedicated at that moment as he knew how to be. He meant it with all of his heart when he said, I'll not deny you. I'm ready and I'm willing. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. He meant that. This was a man who stood up for what he believed. He was a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. As dedicated as he knew how to be. He was dedicated but he was not as dependent as he needed to be. He didn't realize where the strength to back up what he was saying would come from. He didn't realize his personal weaknesses and that there was, he was no match for the devil. He needed the power of God. He was no match for the crowd he was going to face that night. He was no match for the circumstances that are coming up. He needed to be dependent more on the Lord. And the Lord said, Pray that you enter not into temptation. Further down about verse 40. Pray that you enter not. And what did he do? He went to sleep. He needed to learn about himself, that he was weak. He had limitations. And we need to realize that. Fathers, husbands, wives, mothers, teenagers coming up, you're not as strong as you think you are. We have limitations. We need to learn that about self. I need the Lord. I need Him every day. And and you do too. I need to hang out with Him. I need to spend time with Him. I need to listen to Him. I need to talk to Him. Sometimes cry on His shoulder. I need to praise Him. I need the Lord every day. So he needed to learn that about self. He was dedicated but not dependent enough. We need to lean on Jesus all the time. And then lastly, he needed to learn something about our Savior. Jesus said, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Do you believe Jesus gets his prayers answered? (laughs) Hey, Peter failed, but his faith that he had placed in Jesus Christ did not fail. Peter was, his faith, let's say it got weak that night. But he was already in a covenant relationship with the Lord. And that established faith was secure. <laughs> Jesus said, I've prayed for thee. And you know what encourages me about that? I think I would believe with all my heart if anyone get his prayers answered, it would be God himself. <laughs> In John 17 and verse, I've got it written down, verse 20, he prayed for you and me. In his high priestly prayer, our Lord prayed for all the believers then and those who would believe on down the road. I believe that extends all the way into the 21st century, and that covers you and me. Hey, I have Jesus' prayers backing me. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a great thing to think about? So Peter, when you learn this in your heart, when you learn that Satan is stronger than you, and when you learn that self, yourself, has limitations, and when you learn that your Savior never fails, (laughs) He'll keep what's His, you'll be converted and that will strengthen you. And when you're converted, 
strengthen the brethren. Now, after Peter denied the Lord that night, and after he went back to fishing, and after the Lord showed up and showed himself to him again and loved him back to himself, put him on the spot, lovest thou me, lovest thou me, lovest thou me, after all that, with a resurrected Savior, And after the day of Pentecost, when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them in a way that he had, I mean, it was a special time, right? It was a once for all time. The church had already been started. Jesus started it with himself, with his disciples. But the church was empowered on the day of Pentecost. And Peter stood up that day and preached in front of that mob of people, uh, confusion and all that was going on, and my stars he preached, and, and 3,000 people got saved, baptized, and joined the church. I'd call that a pretty good day. <laughs> Later on, Simon Peter was in prison. He became an escape artist. The doors <laughs> opened up, and he walked out. And <laughs> that was a man with power, with the power of God on his life. When he was persecuted in Acts chapter 4, and uh, they, they, after the lame man was healed and they brought him in to question, he said, hey, if you guys wonder, I said, it said the Holy Ghost came upon him. God just, he's got filled with the Spirit. And uh, he said, you guys want to know what's happening? The one you, cru- I'm shortening this a bit. The one you crucified is God. He's the Savior, and He's the one that healed that man. I didn't raise Him up, the guy that couldn't walk before. Jesus Christ did it, and you're guilty of His crucifixion. That would be powerful if those guys there with the whole army behind them, right? I'd say He wasn't a cowardly guy. I'd say He was acting the power of God. And it says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, folks, there's where our strength comes from. It's when we've been with Jesus. That's why we need church. That's why we need the preaching. That's why we need to praise Him and sing His praise. That's why we need correction. That's why we need Bible study, Bible teaching. We need to read it every day devotionally. We need to saturate ourselves with God's Word and regularly connect with Him in prayer. then we become strong enough to be witnesses for Him. That's how it is. That's how it is. And that's where it comes from. <clears throat> Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I believe it was a great thing after his conversion, his preaching, his standing up to the, to the religious big shots and the powers that be. I believe all that was something, but... I believe the fulfillment of what Jesus said was when he wrote First and Second Peter. The strength in thy brethren. For 2,100 plus years, we've been strengthened by reading these epistles in First and Second Peter. <laughs> strength in thy brethren. I believe it's the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to write these words 
And when he did, I get strength from them. And let me tell you this, when you're facing a trial, when you're sick, when you're down, when you don't know what to do, when you realize your own weakness, when you realize that you're in over your head, your feet won't touch bottom, you just don't, it's time, you need help. Study First Peter, Second Peter. When you don't know why you're in trouble, or when you do know why you're in trouble. It's good to read these. Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now turn to First Peter. We'll just take a sample of it. We won't go through all of First and Second Peter, but I'd just like to show you a few things tonight out of First Peter chapter 1. And I would call this part the behavior of strengthened Christians. Not just the behavior, the be-behavior. Because what you be determines your behavior. <laughs> what you be determines what you do. It shows what, what you do shows what you are. You wouldn't have done it, right? And uh, if we're to be some of these things that Peter wrote down that we're to be, it needs to start with God. In verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Not your faithfulness, not your defeating the devil, not your standing in your strength, but by the power of God. That's how you're kept. Who are kept by the power of God through faith, that's trusting Him, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. True, strong Christian behavior begins with God. Folks, am I making the point we need to depend on Him? Our strength comes from God, not of ourselves. Our strength comes from Him. That's why we need to focus on Him. That's why we need to connect with Him every day. Uh, how long should I pray in the morning, preacher? How long should I read my Bible? How much? Just make sure you connect with Him. Every, get something from God every day. Stay in touch. He's your strength. I stay pretty close to my notes anymore. I can't remember that long. <laughs> not only does our strength begin our behavior begins with God it steps into our attitude toward God he said blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ we get strength from God when our attitude toward Him is right. Blessed means to speak well of. And we could speak well of God for the new birth that it lists here. For the resurrection hope that we have. Hey, we live beyond the grave. 
this life is not all there is. Uh, we have an inheritance. I can speak well of God. Or we might say today, praise God, I'm born again. I'm a new creature. Praise God, I'm secure in Jesus Christ. Praise God, I got saved. Praise God, I have eternal life. Praise God, it's an inheritance incorruptible. The government can't touch it. They can't tax it. Nobody can steal it from me. I like that. It's reserved in heaven for me and kept by the power of God. Because I'm kept by the power of God. I like that. I can praise God for that. I can sing songs like Jesus saves. I'm glad He does. I'm glad He did it. I'm glad He's going to finish the job. We're signed, sealed, and ready to be delivered. And the circumstances around here look like time for Antichrist to show up on the scene and a one world order. They talk about that. We have our big elections now are between the globalists and the nationalists. And you know who the globalists are? They're the one world order people. That's what the devil's inspiring them to shoot for. That's what that's all about. <laughs> Stage is set for the tribulation period. It can't start until we get snatched out of here when the trumpet sounds. And I just like the way the Bible's put together. That's why we need to read it and study it. Boy, it'll help you. It'll help you. I do have a t-shirt based on the song. I read the back of the book and we win. <laughs> the, oh, man. The end of the story is written, but it's written prophetically. That's our hope. We have a future. Praise the Lord. That, that strengthens me. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. But our attitude toward God produces rejoicing. And it, like it says here, that we're kept by the power of God through faith, ready to unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season... I'm glad the things that happen here are just for a season. Like spring, it's not going to last forever. It's going to get hot. Summer. Summer's not going to last. It's going to cool off for fall. Fall's not going to last either. And the dead of winter is going to show up. Amen? That's all going to happen. Those seasons have limitations. And that's the way it is with our trials and, and, and temptations. When, when our troubles, all those T words... Those things are just for a season. They're just for a while. Okay. School is just for a season, guys. <laughs> Don't give up. <laughs> it's just for a season. Now, education, <laughs> it's for a lifetime. <laughs> you need to keep learning. But uh, there are things that just last for a while. And the trial of our faith is just for a season. I'm glad the Bible says, and it came to pass. Glad that's in there. Okay, that the trial, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through many full temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hey, when He appears, there'll be nothing left over but praise. The trials and all that's all gone. Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see not. Do you ever have trouble with that? Do I love the Lord? If you just stop and realize who He is to you, 
I just start thinking about when I was lost and I tried church one time, I tried getting dipped in their water one time, nothing changed. There was no hope. I started the same down the same road of behavior that my father before me was following. It was just a hopeless situation and sin was in control of life. But then I met Jesus Christ and found He loved me enough. He died for me on the cross. That changes everything. It changes everything. I love Him for that. And then He didn't stop with me. He started saving others and my family. I got to see my brothers and sister get saved. And then, and then, and then mom got right. Dad got saved. And then it spread out into others and our family. And he called me to start a church and saw people get saved. And some of you sitting right here got saved here. And, and God's just still saving. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> There's nobody else can save a soul. Take us to heaven. Forgive us of our sins. Only God can do that. And he does it for us because he loves us. He died for us because he loves us. He wants us to live forever with Him because He loves us. Makes me love Him back. It's what John wrote. We love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19 Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you seem not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, when we're in contact with the God who can give us all that, and Peter learned to depend, to lean on the Lord instead of Peter, the big strong fisherman, when he learned to depend on Christ instead of himself, he got stronger. And then God used him to write these words to strengthen the brethren. You look down about verse 13 and he starts giving us some really good counsel. This is not going on all night, but if you follow along, stay with me here. How many of you ate before you came to church? You going to eat after church? Well, you kind of got something to look forward to then, don't you? Okay, there is an end to this and we'll be there soon before you know it. So just stay with me. I didn't eat either, so I'm not going to preach all night. Okay? Alright. Stay with me in this. Verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, this behavior begins with be sober. What does that mean? The first change that God starts making in your life after you're saved and you start leaning on Him, He's working on it's a change in your thinking. I don't need this, I do need this. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't need this anymore. I need this. I can think of so many illustrations right now that come to mind of 
just thinking about things that changed in my life and in other people's lives, as God began to change our thinking, He said, be sober. I looked up the word sober in the dictionary, and I got four different definitions. And the first one was, sober It means to abstain from intoxicants. I tell you what you can't do when you're under the influence of an intoxicant. You can't think clearly. Thinking sober, be sober, means you think clearly. But you have to be sober. You can't go up to a drunk and say, okay, think sober. He can't do it. Because he's full of what clouds his thinking. You can't do these things. You have to be these things. The reason I'm calling this behavior is because you have to be before you can do. You be with God and then God enables you. Stand with me? Pretty simple. Be sober. Abstain from intoxicants. Then you can think clearly. It's clear thinking. Then the second definition was possessing Properly controlled faculties, even-tempered, well-balanced, temperate in action or thought. That's controlled thinking. Right? Look up Philippians 4.8. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are, and it gives that whole list there and says, think on these things. The Bible does tell you how to think. Control your thought life. You, you're not going to get anywhere allowing your emotions to control your thinking, allowing circumstances to control your thinking. If, if, if someone comes in here right now and shoots me right between the eyes, uh, I'm going to be here, but my, the real Gary is going to be going on and it's going to be thinking about the Savior who had me prepared for that. He prepared me for that 60 years ago. I got saved just over 60 years ago. I'm glad I did. By the way, coming up in just a few days, uh, Glenda and I will finish up 120 years of marriage. <laughs> July 10th, it'll be 120 years. 60 for her and 60 for me. <laughs> Together, we could do it. <laughs> right? And, uh, and I'm still glad about that. I'm glad I got saved 60 years ago before we got married or I wouldn't have stayed married. I'd have ruined her life and mine. I'm so thankful that the Lord prepared me for marriage when he saved my soul. And, and so this thinking needs to be controlled. Don't let your thoughts run away with you. Don't let your moods run away with you. God wants to control your thinking with his word. And then it's, uh, the third definition is grave, sedate, realizing the importance of life, serious thinking. Don't take yourself so seriously, but take the Word of God, take the affairs of life seriously. The decisions you make. And I say to the young people here tonight, every year you live, as you mature and get older, your decisions bear more importance. They have more consequence the farther you go in life. The decisions you make based on your thoughts. I decide I'm going to do this. I don't care about that. The older you get, the more consequence that's going to have on your life. You can't prepare for yesterday. 
But you need to be making decisions, preparing for tomorrow. Take the affairs of life seriously. It does matter who you would date because it matters who you marry. It does matter where you work because you're influenced by people you... Amen? So take the affairs of life seriously. Great importance of life. And the last one is... well. Here where it says this didn't come out of the dictionary, it came out of the Bible. Gird up the loins of your mind. What's that mean? That means as they wore those robes, they would tuck that thing up under the belt, or girdle they called it then. We don't wear girdles, we wear belts. But uh, if I'm to make any progress, I need a belt to hold my pants up. They get down here like some guys wear them now. They can't hardly move. If I'm going to travel, if I'm going to get somewhere... I need to gird up the loins, right? That's what that's talking about. Well, I need to do that mind. Hey, I've never arrived in my thinking. God is still changing my mind. He's still teaching me. I'm still learning and growing. This is to be a progressive thing. Through life, you ought to be a little smarter today than you were yesterday. We ought to learn something about God today. Hey, Lord, give me something today that will help me to know You better. I want to gird up the loins of my mind. I want to grow. I want to. Does that make sense? I've got to grow in the Lord. I'm not satisfied with where I am yet. I'm not satisfied with my knowledge of you. I want to know you better. Didn't Paul say that? That I may know him? Okay, be sober. Secondly, be hopeful. Hope to the end. I already talked about the rapture and some of that some. Hebrews 10, about verse 37, I think. He that shall come will come and will not tarry. One of these days it's over. We're out of here. It's called the, the blessed hope in Titus 2.13. The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope is to be ever-present in the heart of a Christian. That will make you strong. The hope that God gives you. The hope you get from God's Word. The hope you get from God's promises. The hope you get from God's presence in your life. That's going to give you something that will keep you going. That will make you stronger. Hope is to be ever-present in our lives. Hope produces endurance and courage and a victorious spirit. When a person's lost hope, you got him whipped. We're hopeful when we look up and when we look ahead. We need to keep going forward and upward in our Christian walk. I don't mind walking uphill because I'm going to a higher place. (laughs) Amen? My thoughts need to be like that. When I look this way, I'm very optimistic. When I look this way, I'm a pessimist. Man, I can't stand the news anymore. I watch the TV news, and uh, on some stations I get all communist propaganda. I watch Fox News, and I get all right-wing propaganda. I don't know where to go to get news. They don't tell you what's happening or what someone said. They all have to put their spin on it. One way or the other, right? Most of the time it's the other. I'm thankful I can look up and the Word of God, I can have hope. It encourages me. 
Heaven is, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I like singing about that. I like to sing about heaven sounding sweeter all the time. I like to sing about where where we'll never grow old. I like those songs. Amen. This growing old here is tough. It's only one alternative, I mean, unless a rapture. Many Christians have faced martyrdom courageously because they had that hope. I'm going to see Jesus. Isn't that what Stephen said when they were stoning him to death? I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> I like that passage. It says and, and they stoned him and he was calling on God. And, and it said that mob was howling at him. They were throwing rocks, screaming, cursing. And it said he fell asleep. This is peaceful. I believe every word is inspired of God, don't you? And Stephen just fell asleep. Doesn't sound like trauma to me. I look at being stoned to death as trauma. It says Stephen just fell asleep because he wasn't looking at being stoned. He was looking to Jesus. And it made him act like Jesus and talk like Jesus. Lay not this sin to their charge. That's just like what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Wow. Wouldn't it be neat if we could become so much like our Lord that when, even in death, we would say something just like Jesus did? Wouldn't that be something we'd be that much like Him? Would that bring Him honor and glory? Wow. Many martyrs have done that. And verse 14 says, Be obedient. We're almost done. Be obedient as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. You didn't know. But as you gird up the loins of your mind and you're learning, you're learning what God wants you to do. You're learning how God wants you to think. You're learning what God wants you to say. You're you're learning God's ways. You're learning about His presence and the hope and all that you have in Christ. As as you're learning these things, man, you can uh, then learn to be obedient. You see, it says, uh, as obedient children, you don't have to be like I used to be when I was ignorant. I didn't know Him. I didn't know about him. I didn't know what he expected. When I first went to church, I didn't know the words of the songs. I didn't know what they meant. I was very uncomfortable about the whole thing. I didn't know. I felt out of place. I hear these modern new age, new edge preachers. We want people to, I want the drunk and the addict to feel comfortable coming in here. They ought not feel comfortable when they come in here. We come into God's house, we ought to walk in as wicked sinners looking for the grace of God. I'm thankful we can look there for the, God loves wicked sinners. That's why He was able to love you and me. Because He loves wicked sinners. But comfortable? I heard a guy say it like this once. He said, I came to that church 
I don't know if I want to go back. He said, I felt like I ought to get under the carpet like a snake and slither out the back door. (laughs) Bless God, that's how he ought to feel. We're wicked coming into the presence of a holy God. But oh, the comfort of finding out He loves us enough to die for us. The joy of knowing God doesn't want to kick us out. He wants to bring us in. That's our God. As obedient children of a loving Father, He is a loving Father. You know, why, should not, why shouldn't I obey Him if I believe He knows what's best? He's smarter than I am. Well, God, I know you said this, but that's a dumb statement. Stop it right there. Show me the worlds you've created. All we create's a mess. He created not just this universe, everything beyond it. We don't know how far it goes out there, and we don't know what's beyond it. Nobody knows but Him. And He spoke it all into existence. And He still runs it. He still keeps every star and every, every constellation, everything in its place, acting just like it ought to. Everything except mankind. And one of these days, you will have that all straightened out with a new nature and all that. Amen? If he's that smart, why do I think I know more what will make me happy than he does? Hey kids, are you listening? When your friends will tell you, oh, this will really make you happy. This will make you feel good. This, boy, this is where it's at. Are they smarter than God? Don't let anybody influence you who doesn't try to influence you to him, toward him toward His ways. If he's, if he's smarter than I am, then why not obey Him? Why not obey Him if I, if I uh, believe that He wants what's best for me? God's not out to get you or to hurt you. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things That verse tells me that God wants what's best for me. He wants to bless me. He wants to help me. He wants to encourage me. He wants to improve my lot, my life. He wants to so badly that He became a man and died on the cross so that He could do it. He rose from the grave to give me promise of everlasting life. Why shouldn't I obey Him when He's wise, the wisest and the most loving? And thirdly, why shouldn't I obey Him when, as an obedient child when I know He's my judge? You can't hoodwink God. One time we were traveling across country, it was Greg McCurley and, uh, and Rick Bailey and myself. And we drove all night. Every time we'd stop, get gas or something, someone would get ready to pay. Hey, Rick, all I've got's a hundred. And could you pay for this? And we'll settle up later. Rick paid all the way there. 
And we got to a church service the next evening. We checked in the motel, and we got into this fellowship meeting, and, and we got in there and sat down, and they passed the offering plate. One of us put in a 10 or a 20. The other one put in a 10 or a 20, and Rick looked at that. <laughs> I said, well, Rick, we can't con God. <laughs> hey, you know what? We can't. And he's the judge, the one who knows all, sees all, understands all. Someone says, well, God will understand. Yeah, he surely will. He does. Amen? Why not obey him? Lastly, he said, be holy. It won't take long to express this. He said in verses, he which hath called, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The best definition for holy, the best illustration or picture of holiness is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no holy apart from God. There is no holiness apart from God-likeness. God didn't tell you do holy. You can't write out a list of do's and don'ts and say this makes me holy. The only thing that will make you holy is God. That's a point of the whole message. Spend time with Him. Walk with Him. Boy, to walk with God though, you've got to go the direction He's going. He's got to be in first and you've got to be following. Amen? The things He says to do, we've got to do. And the thing, that's where the do's and don'ts come in. It's so we can stay close to Him. Go His way. We can spend time with Him. That fellowship with God as He is holy. Hey, you become more like the one you hang around with. I've heard say that people have been married a long time, get looking alike. I praise God that's not the case in my marriage. We've been married a long time. I'm glad she don't look like this. Can you picture Glenda with whiskers? (laughs) I don't want that at all. But I do know this, the more we're around such a powerful, influential person as our Lord Jesus Christ, the more like Him we'll be. When I realize His presence, I want to please Him. When I realize He's right here, I want to put my best foot forward. Amen? He didn't say, do ye holy. He said, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So it's like this. A right attitude toward God will enable you to stay in His presence, and He will enable you to think seriously, sober. Sober thinking, a hopeful spirit, an obedient attitude, and a holy life. That's what it's about. This is why this pastor is always preaching. You need to be in church all the time. You need to do your devotions. You need to study the Bible. You need to pray. You need to be praising God. Because He'll make you strong. He'll make you strong. Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Wouldn't it be neat if someday... um, One of the blessings of my life is when 
someone here comes up to me and says, 35, 40 years ago, you took the Bible and showed me how to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the greatest blessings in my life. Wouldn't it be great if someone came to you sometime in eternity or a few years from now and said like that to you? Or your life encouraged me. It gave me strength to go through a trial. We're going to be able to say that to Simon Peter. Amen? But I believe God wants us to be able to say that to each other. I need strength. You strengthen me when I come back here from time to time and see you faithful. Sitting where you belong. Living where you belong. Living the way you should. That strengthens me. When thou art converted, strengthen thy breath. Peter, you can't do it yourself. You've got to hang around God and He'll enable you. Let's stand together and pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love for us. And Lord, as I talked several times tonight about your loving us enough to die for us, Lord, if there's someone in this building tonight that has never come to that point where they realize their sins are forgiven and they're in right relationship with you and they know for sure they're going to heaven when they die, I pray that they'd come to Christ tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convince them that there's no other way other than Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. No other way to get to God but by faith, trusting what Jesus did for us. I pray, Lord, that you'd convince them, even tonight, to surrender that there's no sin, no fun, no anything worth going to hell for. No grudges, no bitterness, nothing worth going to hell for. I pray that no one would leave here tonight lost. And then I pray, Lord, for those here who do know you, that we would be further convinced to be faithful in our Bibles, in our lives, in our walk with You and in Your presence that You could strengthen us. Lord, I confess to You tonight, I know without You, very selfish, dishonest, weak, I need You. I don't want to disgrace Your name. I don't want to disgrace my wife, my family. I don't want to disgrace my Christian friends. I don't want to foul up. I know I need you every day or I will. And I thank you that I can be assured of your presence as I look to you. And I pray that you would just work in hearts tonight that someone who's so prideful that they think they can serve you on their own or they can run their lives the by themselves, I pray that you convict in Jesus' name. Amen.